You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, this is Deep Tran. I'm Jose Solis. And we're your token theater friends, people who love theater so much that, you know, it's the only thing really keeping me positive these days. How, and how are you feeling this week? This week? Yeah. Lemon. It's Tuesday. Well, no. I, I mean, the reason I ask that is because, you know, I, I feel like compared to other people, in response to the news that uh, Broadway's Broadway and theater is not coming back until 2021. I feel like I'm taking it pretty well. You know, I kind of feel like Kirsten Dunst in Melancholia, where everyone's like fucking freaking out, and I'm just like, it'll, it'll be okay. Yeah. It'll be okay. Neither of us are like the biggest like Broadway people anyway, right? So. Yeah, yeah. Today, we are talking about, well, we're going to start at the top of the show talking about Zoom plays. And in response to a poll that we put on our Patreon site, hint, hint, if you're a Patreon, you can help us program our shows. Hashtag perk, hashtag free labor. And we asked if people wanted us to cover more one night only stuff, and they said they do. And they want also want us to comment on, you know, the trends in theater right now. So we are going to do that. And what is the biggest trend in theater? Zoom plays. And we'll talk about what we see has been working for us artistically, what doesn't work, things that we've seen that we really love. So that's the top of the show. And then what are we reviewing today? Today we're going to be discussing two shows. One's a new quarantine show. Is that a right name to give them? Anyway, I don't know. We're going to be talking about a new show and a recorded show that's being streamed. The new show is called To My Distant Love. And it's a very appropriate telephone opera. And then we're going to be discussing Dominique Moriso's Pipeline, which is currently streaming for free on Broadway HD. Yes. And I don't know how it's still streaming for free because they said it was only going to be up for a week. But you know what? I hope they don't listen to this podcast and be like, oh, shit, we got to put this behind the paywall again. And who are we interviewing today? We're going to be talking to director theater maker Taylor Reynolds, who is one of the founders of the Movement Company. And they are also doing really interesting work in quarantine. So basically, this show is about disproving all those people who say that theater is dead during the pandemic because it's not. 
Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I think, you know, since we're going to start talking about Zoom plays, I feel like there's still a lot of skepticism around Zoom plays, and I feel like it's part of people's... They assume theater's going to come back within a reasonable amount of time, and everyone, we're just going to... We're just going to rip the band-aid off for you right now. It's not going to happen until 2021, or until... there. Or, actually, it's not going to happen until there's a vaccine so that people can actually be backstage in close quarters without infecting each other. So until that happens, which who knows when that's going to happen, because no one wants to wear a mask and infections everywhere right now, we're going to have to learn how to be happy with virtual theater. And Jose and I will teach you how to be happy with virtual theater, because I feel like in the past two months, I've been really impressed with how quickly like it's developed like what 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 are what are things what are things that you've seen that you loved artistically one of my favorite things that's happening right now for instance is the new york new futurists hit play podcast that they do twice uh, a week on the weekends and they're doing this like really interesting combination of like i wouldn't call them necessarily like radio plays although they are that but they're this like combination of like radio essays one of my favorites mm. was when one of the artists walked, uh, did a walking tour listening to an Alabama Shakes album. I don't even know what an Alabama Shakes is. Is, is, is that the band? I guess, but I mean, do you know what they sing? A country music? Uh, I don't know. I, I don't listen to country music, so that's... that's... What about Taylor? Swift, yeah. not Reynolds. <laughs> Taylor's not country anymore. She's pop now. She's crossed over. She did. Like the Disney chicks. Oh, no, <laughs> like the chicks. Well, yeah, I, I love that podcast because they're doing so much. Uh, it's so adventurous. And although it's very hard to listen to podcasts when we're stuck home because there's such a commuting uh, thing, I listen to that podcast. I would say quest-like religiously because sometimes I forget, but then I binge it because it's very short also. And... I mean, last week we had Raul Esparza, and wasn't his tartuffe just, like, mind-blowing? Yes, it was! I hadn't, I hadn't seen that thing they did. So what they did with the tartuffe was they had uh, the same background for every... They, I don't know how it... Like, it was like a set. It looked like a cartoon set. And then the screen looked like a cartoon set. And then they had just people's faces just plopped on top of the set. So it kind of looked like they were, like, on top of the furniture. And it actually looked... Yeah, it looked like a video game, but in, like, a really fun way. It kind of looked like those... Did you ever watch, like, Futurama? Remember, like, the people who only were, like, floating heads? Yeah! (laughs) But it was so cool, because at least... I mean, we didn't have to see people home in, like, their sweatpants. Like yeah. reading from a script. It was so inventive and it was like it was so bonkers. Like it made me think of like Australian movies like Moulin Rouge and like Mad Max, which are so bonkers that you're like, How did anyone even dream of this? And I'm like, How did these people at Moliere in the park and uh, the French uh, Alliance of New York like what were they thinking? Like I was like, I would have loved to be in this meeting where they're like Raul Samira, you're going to be floating heads on top of, like, digital furniture. Can you imagine that? <laughs> yeah, and at some at one point, you're going to have to take off your pants and moon the camera, and hopefully we get the angle right. <laughs> 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 oh, we're sorry you can't watch it anymore, but it 
was an event. Do we know if they're Raul fans? Which, by the way, welcome to Token Theater, friends, Raul's Parsa fans. We hope you stay for a while because we do more <laughs> fun stuff for all of you. Maybe we might yeah. even have Raul back if he's sick and become patrons. Yeah. Right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like, push him to come back to our show. Because we could have talked. I feel like he could have talked to us for hours. Yeah, we're just looking for connections right now, you know, connections in unexpected places. But what I really loved about the Moliere also was the fact that it like, like we said in the interview, like it let people who could never have afforded to see Raul Esparza on stage because like you said, theater is, is expensive. Like it was a free show and all they had to do is like make a small donation to the theater company. And what's and what's been really reassuring about this time was like people finally getting access to it. And I saw this wonderful tweet from from someone who follows me on Twitter about like how seeing these Zoom performances is kind of keeping her mentally afloat because it's inspiring to see people still making work. The live theater may have gone elsewhere, but we're still here making stuff. Yeah, the theater makers haven't gone anywhere, which is so interesting because like we're also seeing right now something that we kind of have been saying all through our, you know, the time that we've been doing our show, which is that Broadway continues being the least inventive. adventurous, yeah, inventive, yeah. creative. Like it's Broadway's like I don't know, like it's such a dinosaur. It feels like such a dinosaur. Like where are the Broadway stars? Like why aren't they, uh, you know, coming up with things to do? And I mean, I also don't want to sound like I'm judging them because like, we're all scared and it's like a terrible time right now to, you know, to be a human in planet Earth. Uh, but, you know, how is it that off-Broadway and off-off-Broadway and experimental artists are doing so much and the people that people pay the big bucks for are just, you know, where are they? I will say that Sing Street, the musical, which did not get to open, they did do a concert version at-home concert version of Sing Street. And so, you know, applause to everyone on that team for for getting that music out there so people could see it. I, I do wish that it was still online so that we can link people to it. But we cannot. So maybe, you know, talk... We will give you money. We will give you money if you keep the video up. Just saying. But I, I do think it's because, you know, like, off-off-Broadway, like, it's... It's when it, when you're smaller, you're more nimble, and you're a, and you're able to just you know take an idea and just run with it instead of like having to go through like five different levels of producerial you know approval. And I'm I'm glad you men I'm glad you mentioned that because one of the most inventive things I've seen, and we were both working on it because we were transcribing, we were closed captioning it for people, but it was this. Uh, event from the Bronx Academy of Arts and Dance called Desire, a Sankofa Dream by, uh, by a black choreographer named Maria Bauman Morales. And she, and it was like a choreo program where, where they, people were actually dancing in front of the cameras, but also like there were times where you could just like, it, this was for the first time I saw the whole like a uh, Zoom breakout room function where if you wanted, you can go out into into another part of the play and you'll meet another character. And she was like in a completely different setting. And so I really appreciated the ability to kind of try to have like that ambulatory immersive experience, even if we couldn't actually move. 
Right, because it's like, you know, why isn't like sleep no more doing something like this, right? I mean, because it's also like so refreshing because one of the things that I find really hard about having to watch, uh, you know, digital theater is that some, you know, if I'm doing it on my computer or my iPad, I get distracted and I want to like check my email or like go on Twitter. But if we're like actually like being asked to like go to different rooms and remember also like it was so cool that the dancers had I think almost all the dancers had two camera angles. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And I was like, I was like, this is so cool. Yeah, I know. Kind of like film, multiple camera angles, very important. But like, you can do dance, like you can use up space around you to actually perform. Like you're not just limited to, you know, sitting in front of a screen. So I'm really excited to see how else people play with this. And and I'm also really excited to see the uh, just how quick everything's getting put up. Like these, like I think it allows for like messier work to to be put up right now because it's just such a low low barrier at the moment. Mm-hmm. Also, like my only complaint about it is not to the artists, obviously, but to the people who the marketers basically let us know our events. <laughs> Yes. These things are happening. Yeah. Everything is announced like two hours before it starts. Yeah, like I'm learning about this shit like two days beforehand, and I'm sorry. It Jose and I are creatures of we're regimented creatures, and so we plan our episode a couple, a few days in advance, and we've committed to that idea. And so it is. It it's very stressful to have to change things at the last minute and to te- and to text your partner and be like, hey, never mind. We're not doing the show. We're not talking about the show anymore. We're gonna talk about this other show that you have to catch tonight. <laughs> we don't need any more stress in our lives right now. You know, we're all stressed Caught. out, and this should be a fun thing that brings you all joy. But last minute invites. Do not spark joy. Yeah, between the fireworks, the cops running rampant, the government sucking, and COVID, we certainly do not need any more stress. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and I want to give a, this shout out to a, a play I saw that was unproduced before, and it was like a world premiere. And it was called, it was by Diana O, oh, like one of our former guests. It was called My Hate Letter to the American Theater, and it was a series of monologues or dialogues about how sucky the American theater is and it would have never gotten produced before this because the world was the world was not ready and I'm hoping it comes back because I I so wish you could have seen it Jose it was really up your alley and really part of this conversation about that we're all having about how these institutions need to change and how they don't they don't welcome people who want to be want to work outside the boxes and coincidentally, it sounds like you, like we were plugging like this uh, story. Coincidentally, Mira C. told us, uh, I defy this organization that she launched, produced it, and they were behind it. And we have an interview, a profile of her. She is so incredible. She's doing so much work right now. And hi, Mira, we love you. Mm-hmm. Yes, we have an interview with her on our website. Jose did it. And we'll link to all the things that we talked about on the show notes on our website and on iTunes. My my entreaty to people right now is just put up your plays. Doesn't take it's not very hard right now. You know, go fund me some money to get to pay the actors, but now's the time to just try shit out and see what happens. And then you might and then by the time we come back, like you might have discovered like this 
new medium of theater that's more accessible to everyone. But just do it. Just do it. Just just do the play now. Just do the play now. And someone figure out how to do musicals. Watch some stuff and stop saying theater's paused because it's not. Because it makes me very angry, very sad. Mm-hmm. People are trying shit. So yeah. fucking support them. Yes. Wow. We're, we're like cursing this more. I think it's because like it's. I haven't finished my coffee yet. <laughs> Is this your first coffee? Yeah, I'm gonna have another sip while you uh, intro to my distant love. Okay, so we, for our first review, we experienced a phone opera called To My Distant Love. And I wonder if me saying the following does anything to you. Does it stir anything in you? I miss you terribly. Each day without you. It's like a day without breathing. I long to see your face. Oh my god, I can't. But, okay, I can't. So... Shit, I'm single. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Let me even like, try to like explain what this was. Because it's very easy, but I don't okay. know why it's... Uh, it sounds like more complicated. So anyway, To My Distant Love is an opera that happens over the phone. And the thing is, you set up your ticket, you buy your ticket, you pick a date. And then on your appointed date, you get a phone call. But before that, you get some emails, like, telling you, you know, what number it's going to be coming from and all of that. And in this opera, you play a character, which is the most exciting part of it. So you are this person's distant love. And when they call you, they give you this, like, beautiful, like, romantic speech. And then they sing Beethoven songs for you for about 30 minutes. And then you swoon, and then it's over. So it was so interesting to me because we did it on the same day, but we both got different singers, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, I got a male opera singer. And I, I have this thing where I'm sure that I've talked about it uh, here before, where I become like Meryl Streep when it's like some immersive... Or like, <laughs> it's like some immersive show. And when the man said, "Like, how are you, my love?" and I said, "Why haven't you called me?" <laughs> I was like, I was like sold. I was like swooning. <laughs> I was like sold. I was like, I don't know what this person is. I don't know what they look like. And I haven't been like really interested in seeing what they look like. Um. Because then I get to live in that fantasy. But I was so invested. Mm -hmm. Like, he was talking about, like, taking me. Remember that day that we went to the park and you drank all the wine? So apparently, in this opera, I was a lush. I mean, that's that's not far from real life, you know? I mean, I can't drink wine because he, <laughs> unfortunately. But I was like, yes, I remember. And I was like, I remember how it fell on me. And he was like, yes. And I was like, I was like, I don't know, I was such a ham. But I was having so much fun. Did it make you feel less single? <laughs> it made me feel more insane. If that <laughs> <laughs> and then I can't spray anything. Oh my goodness. Well, so it, it's only 20 minutes. It doesn't take up too much of your time. And uh, it's produced by On-Site Opera. And they've actually extended it to August 9th. So, and tickets are going fast. So, you know, buy them now. Because it is a literal one-on-one -on -one experience. And you will be asked to participate. If it makes you uncomfortable, well, now's the time to try uh, things that make you uncomfortable. Well, what I really love is that 
it, it feels like it's kind of the living embodiment of that meme that was going around about what online dating is going to be like during COVID, which is like, there's nothing, there's going to be nothing physical. So you're going to have to write me a lot of letters and we're going to go back to Jane Austen times where we just try to try to woo each other with our words. And so I felt like, and I had a female singer, so I felt like I was being, she was booing me with songs and asking me about my day. And you know what? Not a lot of, you know, I haven't had anyone romantically ask me about my day for so long yet. I really, I really miss it, you know? <laughs> I mean, if you pay me, I'll call you every day and be like, how are you, my love? Remember that night in Berlin? And then I'm going to send you, I'm going to send you songs from Phantom of the Opera. And from cats. <laughs> I'll take it, but you know, it it feels like if and 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 the weird thing about it is, even though it's not a live theater experience, like it felt like I was I was experiencing what theater is supposed to be, which is you know you're making connections across space through performance, and that's why right now, like you know, immersive experience, like this is a great time to just try stuff out and see what happens because like we're all so isolated that anyone who wants to come and have a conversation with us and connect with us like it feels it feels like you know it feels like I haven't eaten like in a thousand years like it just feels particularly delicious right now mm -hmm. i also want to like commend them because opera is one of those things that i have never been uh in love with no but I, you know i haven't like really experienced that much opera and one of my favorite things about it was like you know one of the reasons that opera still seems like so classist in a way is because it's uh you know in italian or german basically right and i love that before the show starts they sent you well your distant love sent you uh <laughs> translations of what he was going to be singing or what she was going to be yeah. singing so and, it's not like you're just going to be she like wrote for you yeah <laughs> I should have been, now that I think about it, I should have been like, liar, Beethoven. Thank you for not ruining the fantasy. Yeah. No, but I mean, they send you the translation, so it's not like you can be like listening to this uh, incredible singers perform and like be cleaning your kitchen, right? Or like be like on a Zoom. Like you have to be present. And the fact that they send you the translations and you are reading along while the person singing in German it's so exciting. Like, I felt like I was, you know, I couldn't, like, I didn't want to do anything. I wanted this to last, like, the whole day, basically. Although, probably those poor singers can't sing to me the whole day. I mean, they're professionals, so probably they can. Though, I, I will say, the book was written by Monet Hertz Mendoza. So, yes, representing. I don't think I knew that. I love her. Wow. Do you see how much research we put into before we go into these things? But you know, I never research shows. I always experience them. And I, since we don't have like programs anymore, basically, I never, you know, I usually read the programs on my way back home. So, oh my God, that's a lovely surprise. Hi, Monet. Yeah. You know, that time that you, that you drank all the wine in the park, those were her lines. That's a, that's a thing that she thought that Jose would totally do. But what I will say is, uh, th th there's this little, there's, th there's this little moment where my, my recollection, the story that happened to us was, you know, the time that we went to Scotland and I was wearing an outfit that she really loved, and I, and I was thinking, you know what though, I what what would really take this to the next level is if they sound like a little questionnaire beforehand, like like a Mad Libs of like you know put in an outfit that you really like or put in like 
like your favorite city in the world or something. Like really, really personalize it. Like really draw me into the things that I love. I guess the exciting part about it also was that uh, since it was not like a full like production of an opera, no one died. So yeah, exactly. No one died, and and, and it was joyful and and not too long because my thing about operas, they're always way too long. Except the fact that our distant love left us at the end. Yeah, yeah, she was trying to get off the phone. I, I felt like, I, I felt like, wait, come back. Come back, say sing to me some more. Please, it's like, I'm so lonely. It was a treat. I loved it so much. It was so much fun. And so go get some tickets. They're doing this until August 9th. Maybe they'll do it further because we all need a love connection right now. Uh, the next show that we're going to be talking about is Pipeline by Dominique Morso, and you can watch it on Broadway HD. Uh, it was done at Lincoln Center, Center, so this is a version that was so this version that was filmed. And actually, when I saw it at Lincoln Center, they actually had like like multiple cameras set up. So th- th- this is why you need to watch shows multiple times, and I wish that we were able to because and theater wasn't like so expensive or inaccessible because I got more out of this now than I did when I saw it two years ago. Uh, the story is about uh, this mother named Naya. She's a public school teacher in New York, I want to say, New York City, and I think it's New York City. And her and her son goes to a private school upstate and he's gotten into a fight and he might get expelled and there might be charges pressed against him by the school because he pushed his teacher. And so it's about the school to prison pipeline, but it's also about about the societal question of like, what do we do with young black men who have a lot of trauma and who, and the system doesn't know how to handle it and it and it reacts to it with violence and how do we you know save them? How do we talk to them, treat them, that kind of thing? And it's one of those things where it's not like an issue play where it bangs you over the head with you know the the issue. It's very much like a very it's a look at this specific circumstance and what it says about our system. What I love about, about Pipeline was the fact that, yes, it's a circumstance, but it's also you're, you're also watching a story about how this family comes together and deals with, with this problem within their family. Like, that's drama. That, 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 that's the American theater. Absolutely. And also, it's about, you know, something that you and I have experienced. <laughs> and we are very familiar with, and it's what happens when uh, people of color are thrown into predominantly white spaces, mm. where they're probably you know like gaslit and like, harassed, and they deal with microaggressions and stuff. So you know, it's that whole thing about how are these institutions, you know, like schools for instance, like private institutions, ready to have you know students of color but they are predominantly white and therefore white supremacist institutions and what Mm -hmm. that does to mental health of people of color. I mean, because we're both Mm -hmm. a little bit, you know, traumatized from our own experiences in predominantly white, like, institutions. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 And that's why, like, I love watching the play now because even like two years ago, I didn't really have the language or just the distance to really see how, how it was affect, how being in predominantly white spaces like would 
affects you mentally. And so, you know, Dominique is like, she's a truth teller. She's a prophet. Like, she sees things that none of us are able to see and puts give us gives us language that we don't have but like now that i've interrogated some of like my own experiences like this that's what made the play like just more potent to me this time around and we're also and we're also having a conversation around you know and you know it's it's so interesting and i was thinking about american son and the contrast that we see and how this uh play you know dominique's writing is so humane Yes. And the characters feel like real people. They don't feel like they're just like, you know, like after school special because they're obviously not yes. that. Yes. Having seen the two, you know, in such close proximity, it's like the, the, the contrast is like so, like, incredible, right? Like, American Sun is like a morality play, basically, and, you know, like, this is what happens. Uh, and Pipeline is one of those plays where you can imagine those characters like living before we get to the theater, after we leave the theater, or after we turn off our uh, streaming device. So, I mean, not that we don't know this already about Dominique, because we love her, and we are also going to link to our episode that we did with her last year. But uh, yeah, I would say, you know, I, I didn't remember this play as well as I thought I did. And I was very mm. happy that I got to uh, experience it again. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's the mi- it takes the micro, which is this family and what their personalities are like, what they, the things that they love, the things that they dislike, their, like, bad habits and good habits, and, and it uses that, it uses that scenario to talk about, like, bigger societal, societal issues of how being in a white society affects this black family. So it's not like a, it's not like a play of about race, so to say, but it's a play about how race affects this family, which is like there's a difference because you know we're past the whole race, you know, I don't see color part of our history. We like we're now in the part where we talk about like how and how over policing or how under resourced, like how all of these things affects different communities differently and the play and what really blows our mind is like it's 90 minutes but it is so complex thankfully it doesn't like give us answers for any of this because these issues are just so much more complex and we're a that and we're trying to solve them right now via different steps but the fact that she's able to tackle all of those things but not let it weigh down the play and let it keep us focused on these interpersonal dynamics is like what's real that's like what makes this what makes this play like so good basically yeah and it's so refreshing also to see how moving how, oh my god the final scene is so sad uh... it's so moving also because we don't often get to see you know uh black mothers and sons together because usually in most plays that we get the son's dead or mm-hmm. is about to die or is in prison so getting to see this dynamic, uh, you know, oh my god, that final scene, I'm thinking about it right now. Uh, getting to see that dynamic is so refreshing and also so moving that I wish, obviously this show didn't make it upstairs, right, to the Vivian. But want, yeah. But it should have been there. Yeah, yeah. It goes back to, uh, you just put people of color in the basement with, you know, a hundred seats. But you don't put them up where there's actually Wi-Fi. With 500 people. No, no. And this... Pl- but... And can, can we talk about Karen Pittman? Uh, yes. 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 What I really love is... 
and, you know, contrast this with, with American Son is like she's allowed to have dimensions that goes just beyond like anger and pain. She jokes like she she likes Jack Daniels. Like she's actually given a personality. So she's just not so it's not she's not a symbol of anything. She's an actual person. And what Karen does it, and what I love about seeing this on film is the fact that I could see I could I, I could see her reacting and I could see her and I could see like how her her the muscles in her face move very minutely de- depending on like what she's feeling or what she's reacting to at the time in a way like I couldn't see that on stage. The changing of the medium actually enhanced the play for me because it makes like it comes ev- she comes across even more sensitive than, than she did on stage and like she like fucking broke my heart on stage. Mm-hmm. She's, yeah, she's phenomenal, and she has all those beautiful... I remember when I saw it uh, at Lincoln Center, and I remember thinking, because again, I don't read about the place before I go see it. And when I started, I thought it was going to be about, you know, kind of like her being like this like powerful, like, you know, like dangerous minds type uh, <laughs> women. And it's such a lovely family drama. And I mean, yeah, like mm-hmm. you said, that is American theater, right? I mean, I'm looking at your background, and, you know, I want that. I want to... I want more place about, you know, families that don't look like Arthur Miller families and Eugene O'Neill families. Like, I want, I want this. I want pipeline. Give us more pipeline. Yeah. Yeah. And I really love, like, how it ends on a note of, uh, of, like, how we, I'm not going to spoil it, but it ends on a note of, like, the son saying, like, you can just treat me differently oh. or you can be more compassionate towards me. And it's kind of like a, I don't, I don't know if this is what Dominique is saying, but it, it, it's kind of saying, for me, it's kind of saying like how we create changes is we just need to treat each other differently on a one-on-one level first. Yes. Like change yourself before you can change the world. And that's just so beautiful. This was me doing the, when the light goes. Yeah. At the, oh. <laughs> I like rewinded that scene like five times at least. I was like, oh. I'm taking notes about like, oh my God, Dominique, the language is so beautiful. And she compares people to like solar eclipses and things like that. And what I love is like, I can rewind this and be like, okay, what exactly did they say? So I can like fucking write this down because it's so beautiful. It is really gorgeous. It's like also like such an economical play. I mean, it's not like Mm -hmm. extravagant. Like it doesn't have like a bunch of like rotating sets and all that like fancy stuff that Mm -mm. people seem to like. Uh, It's very simple. Like, I mean, I want to see this zoom play yeah it, it could totally be a zoom play because it's mostly monologues and dialogue mm-hmm. scenes basically like it's it's so stripped down like it could be performed anywhere yeah I, and so, it should be performed i don't want to see pipeline done moliere style <laughs> we're not doing cartoons yeah i don't know <laughs> no no flowing no floating heads no give me other raw like drama for this one Anyway, uh, pi- a- a- any closing thoughts on Pipeline uh, before we go to... See it if it's still free. If it's not free, we're sorry. Yeah, if it's not free, Broadway HD has a seven-day free trial. So go see it. Support Dominique's work. We need to see more of it after this is all over. And uh, yeah, uh, do you want to intro our guest? So next up, we're going to talk to director Taylor Reynolds, who is also one of the founders of the Movement Committee, who a couple of years ago produced Alicia Harris's what to send up when it goes down, which again was like, that's almost also like a, could be a Zoom play, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, oh. Any play can be a Zoom play. Yeah. You're all creative, just figure it out. Anyway, and Taylor directed 
say no. And, you know, she's just, like, altogether, like, a freaking genius. So let's go talk to her right now. Taylor, welcome to our show. Thank you. I'm very excited. I feel like we're kind of in communication, like, pretty consistently, because I just, like, you two are the main, like, tweets that I read every day, <laughs> so I feel like I know, like, what's going on a little bit, you know, or at least, like, what we're all, like, yelling at the sky about on any given day. That's lovely. Now you're just going to make us blush. So <laughs> I'm so happy to have you uh, in our show, and I want to ask you, like, a million things at once, and I don't even know where to start. So... Let's just start with what are you doing in quarantine? Like, how is it, you know, like, because you're always, like, working on so many things. Would you be comfortable talking about, you know, how that transition was, you know, like, from having so many projects to then, you know, being home? So the transition was both very, um, actually very simple because it, it was sort of just the sort of, it was the kind of thing where it was like, oh, right, well, there's a pandemic. And like, yes, of course, you shut down whatever you need to do so that like we don't all die. You know, it's like do what you gotta do. Like, I was having a very biz- busy March that was supposed to transition into a very busy rest of March and kind of into April. Um, but it's actually really interesting because I didn't really have anything um, specifically lined up for the rest of the spring after Richard and Jane and Dick and Sally was supposed to open anyway. Um, so the time leading up to everything shutting down, um, the first week of March, I was doing a um, an internal reading at P73 of one of Emma Goydell's plays. And every day we were coming into the rehearsal room and we were a little bit like, um, okay, well, like, maybe we'll see, you know, like kind of waking up every day and just expecting the like, school is canceled, don't come email. Um, And so we managed to get through the like four or five days that we had of that. And then I went straight into um, the Ars Nova reading for John J. Caswell Jr.'s um, play Wet Brain, which like John and I were like really excited to be working on this play. Like it was the first time that he was hearing it out loud with um, actors. Like um, I was really excited to be back at Ars Nova. And so, but like by that point, we were really feeling like every day, John was like, I don't know. And I was like, John, we just need to make it to Friday. And people like 20 people are going to come like, that's fine, right? Like, we just need to get this reading done. Um, And then uh, the Thursday, the 12th. Um, when everything shut down was a big day because we came in in the morning and there was just a clear air of like something is going to happen. Um, But I was just determined to be in my like positive space because I was like, I'm supposed to start rehearsals for a show on Monday. I had like tickets to see Endlings on that (laughs) Sunday, which like I was so excited to finally be able to see I was supposed to go to the sixth opening night that night it was like a whole thing so (laughs) I know like we had rehearsal in the morning I was like getting texts but I wasn't really looking at them because I was like I'm you know in rehearsal for this play so like do your job while you can and then we went on our lunch break and then um, I got a call from Playwrights Realm Um, and they were like, you know, we're gonna have to cancel the production. And then I came back and then Ars Nova was like, we're gonna finish rehearsal today, but that's gonna be it. We're not gonna do the reading tomorrow. (laughs) 
And so, you know, we were in the like last two hours of our rehearsal, like all the, you know, all theater people suddenly knowing that like this was the last thing we were going to be doing for who knew how long. Um, I left the Ars Nova building and I was like in Columbus Circle, you know, and everybody's like, walking around like what I was like everybody theater just shut down like what is happening (laughs) and then I uh and then I went home and I've pretty much been home ever since I know it's like I think we were all looking forward to the remounting of what to send up when it goes down it was supposed to happen like right now yes after having done because y'all did it in here and then in DC and Boston and and for those for people who don't know about the, about the movement theater company, can you tell us a little bit about how it was founded? Because from what from what I know, it's like it's not hierarchical. It's a very consensus building, and yeah. it was founded by you know young people of color. Yeah. So in two thousand seven, um, a group of recent NYU grads and NYU students of color met in the Astor Place Starbucks. Um, <laughs> it's like such folklore um, and uh, essentially formed a collective um, uh, because there were people who were identifying um, really more as like multidisciplinary artists, you know, so they were like, oh, well, I have a degree in acting, but I really want to explore writing. But, you know, in 2007, it was I mean, it's like kind of the same, but also like a little better now. But, it, you know, in 2007, it's really like you can play the drug dealer on Law and Order or you can like write the text for the drug dealer, you know. Um, so it was founded on the idea um, that uh, artists of color could come together and um, create their own spaces and allow for the exploration of um various artistries um and the company went through a different um different producing models in its first few years so i think when they initially started there was more of a traditional model of you know artistic director and like marketing director and all these various like titles um and then about um about five years into the company's existence um they were doing like strategic planning sessions um where they were like, well, this like model of, you know, hierarchy doesn't really work for us. Or like, we were looking for something different. And, uh, then essentially the person was like, well, why don't you just make your own model? You know, <laughs> they're like, Oh, right. You can just do that. Cause there are no rules in theater. Um, so the model that we've had since then is um, the producing artistic leadership model. So there are currently five of us who run the company um, collaboratively. So that means we're making all of the decisions collectively, um, you know, from like big top tier decisions of like what artists to support, what plays to produce, all of that down to like me making an e-blast and sending it to everybody and be like, mm-hmm. read this. <laughs> Over the last like two years, we've started to expand our um, uh, kind of like staff positions or more specific like task oriented um, positions so that we can separate or like step away a little bit from doing so much of the everyday that takes our energy and capacity away from being able to kind of dream bigger and focus more on um, the leadership part of our title rather than the like line producing part of it 
And I'm, I'm sure the Obie Awards helped with capacity building. Yeah, <laughs> it like it did, and and also, but also we're still we. It, I mean, at least I am still like, oh right, like we won it, like we got an Obie. That's so cool. Like I think we, it's still we have to like when we're updating our bio and everything, we still have to be like, no, put Obie in there. Like that's the first thing people should see. Like that's the point of it. Um, but you know, I have I have the certificate in my apartment, but it's. And, you know, we take care of it, but it's just like in my closet. One of the things that we were talking about earlier was how angry, like almost like irrationally, but I don't think that irrationally angry, I've been getting at people who keep saying that theater is dead or theater is paused. And I'm like, no, you're just not looking, yeah. you know, outside yeah. of like Broadway, right? And like outside of like traditional, like proscenium, like theater. Because theater, like, I mean, I see you and I see so many artists and you haven't stopped working and right now uh with the moving theater company you have it's move designed by right it's one move designed by yeah uh, oh, <laughs> i know it's so long okay. all of our titles for the entire 13 years we've existed all of our titles are just always so long <laughs> when move designed by is this you're commissioning pieces from designers and i was you're gonna do several movements of this and you have one out right now, right? And yeah. I was like, these are all so freaking brilliant and like yeah. crazy in a really good way. They're so bonkers. And I love seeing how, you know, I don't know, like how adventurous and how original and how inventive all the work that so many people are doing right now. And I would love for you to talk a little bit about this movement and then there's gonna be another movement later and how did this come about? And yeah. designers, I don't, yeah. don't get a lot of, aren't getting a lot of love right now. When the um, when theater first shut down, um, the movement we we had a meeting that first Monday. One of the first things that we talked about was really just like how we were doing as people, because that's the most important. Um, and then also just um, a weekly check in about how we wanted to use our voice and use our platform um, during the pandemic. Um, because, you know, the first week after theater shut down, there were artists individually putting things out. There were theater companies who were just like throwing things out and like making digital content. Um, but we really just didn't have the emotional, physical or like mental capacity to really do any of that. Um, and we didn't want to just put things out into the space unless we knew, um, out into the digital space, unless we knew that it was going to have a purpose um, and that it was going to fulfill us in some kind of way or fulfill the artists that we were working with. So as our conversations were progressing, we were starting to feel like we wanted to do something. Um, and uh, we noticed that um, a lot of the content was either playwright driven or actor driven, which like makes sense because you know you can write a thing, email it, somebody can say it, put a camera up, and then like you did it, you made art, which is awesome. Mm. Um, but you know there was not really um, at least a public um, public representation for the other aspects 
um, of theater workers, you know, of like directors, um, stage managers, producers, um, and designers. And um, also just through our check-ins of, you know, reaching out to folks, seeing how they're doing. we were hearing a lot um, specifically that um, immigrant designers were having um, many issues um, with, or, or issues, but like just kind of are at a standstill, um, you know, cause they're on um, uh, F1 or O1 visas, visas that are work based and, you know, that you have to prove consistently that you're like an extraordinary artist that it <laughs> deserves to be working in the United States of America. Um, so, you know, the entire industry shut down um, and suddenly there's nothing that you can do because it's also not necessarily just like, oh, well, I'll go out and get a different job. You know, it has to be specific to the work that you stated <laughs> that you were coming to the U.S. to do. Mm-hmm. Um and also, um, uh, so what we really wanted to do was just give the designers um, a platform just to work, to prove that they were still working. Um, and on top of that, we also just wanted to provide a space for designers to um, process the pandemic um, through their art um, and through their work. And then we also paid them and gave them a budget Um, because we wanted to make sure that, you know, again, all human people needing money (laughs) because we don't have jobs. Um, And also making sure that uh, the weight of uh, finding or providing their own kind of like creative materials wasn't just on them. Um, Because like, if you want to buy, you know, a like, certain light that costs $25, but like you don't even have $25, then you're not going to be able to make the art that you were hoping to make. So, um, we did all that. And we also were introduced to a lot of new designers through our co-curators, um, Clint Ramos and Chaucey, um, who were like super, um, passionate and helpful in, um, just getting the word out about the first round of one move. Um, and some of the designers were designers we'd work with either individually, um, or together at the movement. Um, but they're all so incredible. And so now we're uh, gearing up for the second round of One Move, which is um, going to be focused on all black designers, which is really exciting. Mm. Um, and our co-curators for that are um, Didi Aite, Stacey DeRosier, and Paul Taswell. So it's like a dope ass group. <laughs> um, and uh, so those videos um, will be launched in mid-July. Um, and then past that, we're taking a, the movement is taking a sabbatical in August, which I suggested because I was like, <laughs> I'm exhausted at being alive. Um, so <laughs> that's, that's a quote of the century right there. <laughs> I just, I'm grateful for it, like, but I'm just also exhausted. Um, So then once we come back um, from that, we'll see about, you know, we'll see where the world is, where designers are, um, and just consider if we want to continue one move. But um, we also are interested in um, expanding it. Like the initial 
Um, the initial idea for One Move actually came a few years ago. Um, so the first time that we did it, we put together a musician, um, a poet, and a singer in a room for like three three hours or something like that. And it was, um, we gave them a prompt in response to, it was like in 2016. So it was like right after Trump was elected. And so we were like, respond to that. <laughs> um, use your art. Um, and so that translated really well into be able, being able to give designers um, this sort of platform to just respond to um, whatever is happening in our world that is affecting them, um, whether that's, you know, COVID-19 or the like global uprising against anti-blackness and racism um, or, you know, like murder hornets, like, <laughs> like 2020 is really giving like artistic fodder. I've been thinking a lot lately about, uh, you know, when the, when the Black Lives Matter protests started. I was thinking about the fact that, and I'm not kidding, that after going to What to Send Up was actually the very first time, and granted, it's so late, uh, but it was the very first time that I, uh, you know, that I was aware that, you know, like, I am a part of this also. Like, I am involved in this also. Like, what am I doing? Like, you know, uh, why am I not doing anything? And I was very grateful uh, to that experience because it opened my eyes in a way that I feel that for many people, you know, they're opening their eyes right now. So I was very grateful to 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 that show specifically. And now thinking about what you're doing right now with the designers, what your company is doing, you are literally using art to save people's lives. And I don't know where I'm going with this, but it's something that I keep thinking about, you know, after after going through the uh, 15, what do you call them, shorts mm-hmm. that, we, that you have right now. And, you know, it's people who are using creativity and you're giving them the opportunity to send their visas and all that and save their lives in a way. And the effect also that uh, what up has had everywhere that it's been, you are saving lives. And when you sit around, you're not going, oh, we're going to, you know, teach people something and we're going to save lives. And yet you are. And I wonder how, as an artist, who's also by default, I would say, an activist, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about where those two uh, meet and how they intersect. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. Um, That's like a nice reminder to hear it from other people because I think like we talk about it a lot but we're always like we're not doing enough (laughs) you know or like oh no well we don't want to do it like wrong because there's always this I think there's like a thing of like hoping that the intent matches the impact so I think for um us at the movement um we are very much um identifying as a social justice organization just as much as we identify as a theater company um and we're of course still figuring out like what that means and what that balance is and what the representation of our voice is just out in the world, which I think is a continuous, you know, like company long, lifelong um, experiment and journey. But we just realized that 
just in the things that like we as people were passionate about um, and the things that we were interested in um, and artists we were interested in working with um, as part of our company were just um, more focused on creating change and transformation with the work um, that they were doing. And like, that doesn't mean that it, you know, can't just be a two person play where like two people are talking on a park bench, but it just means that, you know, there's something underlying or overt um, that is going to push and engage audiences to um, start conversations, but also hopefully to just take action. um, Even if that action is like, googling racism you know mm-hmm. <laughs> like just doing the work of like if you mm-hmm. didn't know just find out a little bit um you know like figure out what pronouns are what the different pronouns are and like why people use them and don't put that work on anybody other than Google, because so many people have done it. Um, You know, with What to Send Up, um, even with our previous production um, of And She Would Stand Like This by Harrison David Rivers, um, that production um, featured, um, you know, like black trans women on stage and putting them in lead roles. Um, And um, even with like Look Upon Her Loneliness, which was also written by Harrison, um, putting, you know, like nine um, gay men, most of whom are of color on stage and just letting them live their like fullest, like most emotional lives. Um, Just like creating these statements that are like, if you're paying attention, like if you like, you know, have the like flag of paying attention that are just statements and like representation without it being like, pandering to white people honestly I think like a lot of our work is successful because it's not it's not really pandering to anyone but it's not made for the white gaze like it's not made for um an audience that would like feel great under like a white supremacist structure you know and like that's not necessarily just white people that's like there are plenty of people of all intersecting identities who just want to go and see a play or like a musical, you know, they just want to see the music man. (laughs) I'm like, like, the music man shouldn't be on Broadway. It's upsetting. Um, But uh, so I think like our work and like our acknowledgement that we are both a social justice organization and a theater company um, is really our guiding light. Um, when we're talking to artists, um, I think it's part of the reason why we operate in the way that we do, because so many social justice organizations, um, you know, they may have like an executive director or like one specific leader who's like handling fundraising mostly, you know, but a lot of that work is community based um, and communally based. And it's not just about one person going out and being like, this is my voice. These are my ideas, you know, but it's about like uplifting um, the community and like, honestly, like uplifting all of us so that we, um, so that we can like destroy these terrible systems that we all exist within. Yeah. Yeah. Now, and, and that's, that's the thing I've always loved about the movement and the work. It's the fact that you all created something because what you needed wasn't within the, the systems that were present and you know because I have a lot of conversations with with leaders of theaters 
for for people of identities that aren't white. There's always a common theme that comes up of why are we trying to change these white institutions instead of supporting the institutions that have been doing the work in these communities that already exist. And so when you think about the future of the American theater, if you're able to think about it, like, do you think right now, like, we're just focusing on, we've been focusing on the wrong thing of trying to fix it rather than just like, let's just destroy everything and start a new thing? I think it's like a little bit of both. Like, I it that question makes me think about when um, all of these like different theaters were putting out their like, we love black people statement. <laughs> um, sorry, I don't mean to phrase it like that. But also, <laughs> it's like what it was, which is like, cool you know like some theaters some theaters like that I you know know and support like put out really like heartfelt statements um some theaters put out like really what I thought were like well-written statements where I was like yeah but I didn't like expect you to say this like honestly like you're you know you don't you're not like overtly against like black people but also like you don't support them and like that's chill. Like you do what you do, you know. <laughs> like I don't. I honestly like don't want you to so like don't produce this black person's play because you'll just ruin it, and then I'll just be mad. So like it's fine, <laughs> you know. <laughs> My like personal hot take is like yes, destroy everything. Like unseat all of the like Gr- Gregorian mammoths. Um, but I'm like you know if they want to keep existing, like if there is a space. Because I honestly, there there are some audience members who I don't want to come see my work. Because like, it's not for you, you know. Like, you're not gonna have a good time. It's fine. Like, there's a lot of stuff that like I don't go see because I'm like, that's not for me. So like, why mm-hmm. would I go? And then I spent all like I spent this money and took a seat from somebody who wanted to be there maybe. So like, let me just not. I think that there needs to be systemic change absolutely if if the traditional sense of theater is to continue at all um but I'm also like not interested in that like I don't really care I don't really honestly Mm. I don't really like care what Broadway does you know (laughs) I'm like I love it just like stop taking money that's what I care about that they do other than that I'm like just don't like actively hurt people so stop doing that stop taking money from smaller organizations that could really use it and like produce you know produce the music man if you want I'm not going um (laughs) but I think that like where I'm interested is um in these sort of like mid-range smaller companies that are already like making the change and that are already more flexible because they likely have smaller staff. So I think that in, in becoming more like radicalized or at least just more um, openly anti-racist and anti-transphobic uh, and like anti-homophobic that um, there is space to welcome emerging artists of like all identities, ages, whatever. And like to give the opportunity of like, we don't know if this is going to work and that's okay. But the goal is not like, Oh, I hope people like enjoy this. Or like, I hope people like remember this forever. It's like, no, the goal is to come and engage with 
what's happening on stage. The goal is to like come and be transformed in some way, whether that's like the planting of a seed. And then like a year later, you know, a global uprising happens and you're like, I remember when I saw what to send up when it goes down because it was in the New York times. And at the time I thought, what a nice play. And now I'm like, Oh shit. Like (laughs) what they were saying in the play was correct. I, I'm really more interested and invested in uh, the like middle layer and like lower layers of, of small theaters and artists who are interested in um, producing their work, you know, like individually or on their own, just because I think there's more space for actual conversation you know, bringing the artists into the conversation of what is it that you're looking to do with this piece? What do you need in order to make this piece what you truly envision? Um, Whereas like, I think it's just like, I, 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 as an artist thinking about like going into a larger institution would hope for that and like want that, but also as producer, like I fully understand that, you know, if you have the budget of like playwrights horizons or like the public, like, you can want to talk all you want, but like, it's just a different structure because there are just so many different people. Um, whereas if you have five people running your company who are all present in the room, whether you want them there or not, we're just like, what's up? What do you need? We got it. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like let's go. I want to ask you something that I asked you last year. And then I was like, I'll ask you some other time. Yeah. Plano. Like, how, how, I was like, this is the most, like, mind-blowing thing in the world. And, you know, you read the script, and then how, like, how? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, it helps when uh, you have a brilliant, beautiful, wonderful human person Pulitzer Prize finalist playwright, like Will Arbery, um, who is just... Uh, one of my favorite people of all time forever. Um, and so, um, yeah, like I still, I still like honestly have no idea. Like I have a very specific idea of how it happened and also like no idea, you know? Um, I think it really helped um, that we started, Will and I started collaborating on it together or like we were paired together when I was doing the club thumb directing fellowship in 2017. Um, and so I think like through this kind of low stakes, high stakes fellowship, um, we got to know each other really well. Um, and we got to just kind of like dive into the world of this play. Um, and then, and at the time it was only like a 45 minute version. Like it hadn't been developed into the full length play yet. Um, And so when Club Thumb said they were going to produce the full play for SummerWorks, we'd already had this great foundation from the fellowship. Um, And we had like brilliant actors um, like Ryan King, Crystal Finn and um, Miriam Silverman all came over from the fellowship into the productions. Um, And like they're also just like brilliant, like every person we had in the show was also just like brilliant um and so that was also really helpful just having like a bunch of like smart people who loved this play so freaking much that we were just like okay it takes nine brains 
to put together these two lines and we still don't quite know what's happening, but like, we're just going to say that this is what's happening. And then if it feels crazy, we'll go back and try something else. Um, it was just really useful to have a team that was like willing to do the impossible work of trying to make any sense out of a thing that is designed to not make sense. And then also like my favorite phrase just became like, it is what it is. You know, like there's a, there's a faceless ghost on stage. I don't know why he's there. He doesn't, I don't know what he represents. Like maybe something, maybe nothing like, but he's there. And having, um, having a team that was just, uh, most of the time willing to be like, okay. And like, and our design team was just like, so incredible. Um, you know, we like made a man disappear in the floor. Like we made like, um, like the passage of time, um, just like appear and disappear with like nothing made any sense. And so we were just like, okay, the more we lean into things, not making any sense, the better off we'll all be. And the, it's the only way we were able to sleep at night. I'm very much a like collaborative director. Um, you know, there are some directors who walk in and who are like, this is my vision. Like everybody stand there, go over there, shut up, say the line just like this. That's not how I work. And so I think it's for really directing. And this is probably why I like also love working at the movement so much is like, because it's about the collective and like, there is the, you know, like, selfish independent part of me that likes being able to make the final decision or like base what I'm seeing on stage or hearing or what have you on like my opinion and taste because like I don't like anything but also like I'm, I love everything you know so I'm like if I'm if I'm feeling good or if I'm having questions or if I'm like understanding what's happening then I know that like I'm a good I'm a good gauge like I trust my compass more than I trust other people's compass. So that's why I have to be the director. But I also like everybody saying what they have to say. And then I'm like, cool, thank you for your comments. Mm. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Can you let our uh, viewers and our listeners know where to find everything you're doing right now? Yeah, so you can go to uh, themovementtheatercompany.org. It's theater with an R-E. Um, and you can find out, you can see all the uh, round one, one move videos there. And round two will be posted there um, in mid to late July. Um, and then my website, which doesn't have much on it right now, other than like a link to Black Lives Matter. Um, but my website is imtaylorreynolds.com. Um, and if you want to follow me on Twitter, you can find me at Reynaldo Taylor. Okay, thank you, Taylor, for talking to us. And our next section is your favorite section of the show, everybody, which is where we ask you to be one of our Patreons. And we're gonna, I'm going to have Jose explain this because we just went through some changes because we're socialists and we realize it is unfair to ask to... It is unfair to tier it so that only certain people get certain benefits. It's like, no. We believe in universal health care. Everyone should get everything if they're able to give what they can. So can you explain to us how it works? We still have three different levels, uh, $1, $5, $10, but now everyone gets the exact same bonuses, which means you are going to be getting a weekly newsletter where Deep and I go goober. 
you're gonna be getting <laughs> bonus Q and A's for every single guest that we have, and you're gonna be getting obviously like links to what we have been doing. It's a pretty cool newsletter, I would say. We just want to not treat people like theater treats people of color, which is you know, if you can't pay the big bucks, you don't get access. So you know what? Screw that. We are yeah. modeling our system after AOC, who is one of our... Please, AOC, come to our show. Mm-hmm. And that's why, like, we're really passionate about making sure that you know that you can... That no donation is too small. Like, that's why we have the $1 tier, and we hope we can encourage you or people you know to support us via that. And Because, remember, AOC got elected because a bunch of people gave her a dollar. Yep. And... And we're trying to create a media company. We're building empires here. So if a bunch of people gave us a dollar, then we can like give it to other people, and you know we'll create a a newer and better system for everybody. Yep. And think about it as you know, like you're investing in this. So like, if you give a dollar, if you give five dollars, if you give three thousand million dollars, which we wouldn't be opposed to, uh, you get the same, and you all get to decide. What we do, you can get to vote in our polls. You get exclusive Patreon content. It's pretty cool. Like you're gonna enjoy it. So please, you know, join us. Help us. Yeah, help us. And if you can, of course, like please share. You know, subscribe, rate us on the podcast platforms. Leave us a review on the podcast platforms. We love all of your tweets to us. But if you want a review, get leave us a review. That would make us really happy. And, and tell people and tell people about us, like we get advertising with user clicks, um, and that's our show. Thank you all for listening to us talk. I don't understand how this is appealing, but thank God it is, right? Uh, anything else you want to say to the people? Stop saying theater is dead or paused, and go experience some theater. Like oh, also like listeners. I'm a huge Animal Crossing. I haven't like talked about Animal Crossing enough. You have not talked about yeah. Animal Crossing. But anyway. You're back on your island? Let's not go there right now. But <laughs> if you are an Animal Crossing person and you know about Animal Crossing theater, let me know about it because I want to see some more of that, okay? Because it was so cool. There's Animal Crossing theater? Yes. What? Yes. Uh- and it is like mind blowing. So if you know about plays that are happening in Animal Crossing, and I'm not joking, uh, let me know. Just say I want to see some more. Creativity is just off the charts. I can't handle it. Okay. I love you all. Keep on making stuff. We will be there to talk about it. Okay. Bye. Did you know about Animal Crossing? Like Animal Crossing. <laughs>
and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.